Are you afraid of artificial intelligence and tech, or are you ready for the revolution? Let's talk all about it right here on episode 248 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I'm so grateful you're here, whether you're listening for the first time or you've been hanging out with me here on the airways for months or years. Welcome to the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of nursing, healthcare, medicine, technology, and beyond. And did you know you can leave a rating and review for the Nurse Keith Show on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. That's right. There are 68 ratings over there right now. Don't let that fool you. I need some more. And we at the moment have 4.7 out of 5 stars. And recently, River Forever wrote, Nurse Keith keeps up with issues that nurses face at many stages in their careers. I enjoy his take on these issues and his ability to relay solutions on how to tackle them with a calm and wonderful energy. I highly recommend this podcast for my fellow nurses. Well, River Forever, thank you so much for that endorsement. I greatly appreciate it. And we are here today to talk with Paul Coyne of Inspirin.com. And we are talking all about AI and technology, etc. And Paul, I want to jump right into it and ask you, why should nurses and healthcare professionals not be afraid of technology and artificial intelligence. I thank you very much for having me on the show, and and this is a great question to to start off with. I think that uh, clinicians and particularly nurses need to lead, not 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 be afraid, um, but lead the the innovation, um, not to be afraid of the technology, but to embrace it and really equip themselves with the knowledge and tools that are needed um, in this new AI digital age. Uh, because who better to lead it uh, than us uh, as as clinicians? And if if uh, clinicians don't step up and and fill that uh, need, then others that perhaps don't have the same um, knowledge of the clinical care that's needed will will fill it. So I mean, it's coming whether people are afraid or not. Uh, so better better to be led by the the clinical people who know what what's needed for patient care. Good point. And at the same time, as devil's advocate and just playing that role for a second. A lot of nurses and non-nurses in other industries are saying, well, the robots are coming for my job and I'm really scared. So what do we tell those people who feel like the robot army is coming and is going to put them out of work? Yeah, I mean, I think particularly nursing, um, a robot can't replace what a, what a nurse does. Uh, so I think that um, mm-hmm. AI and, and tech to aid and to um, be an extension of uh, the nursing and the clinical force is not something to be afraid of, but something to be to be embraced if used if used properly. That's right. I mean, if we go back to say a hundred years ago, the 1920s or 30s, maybe I think somewhere around there, when Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times came out. If you've ever seen that film, and it shows like some of the frightening things people were thinking about technology a hundred years ago. And while that might seem silly to us now, like watching him being fed by a robot and he has to like try to keep up with the robot feeding him corn on the cob, like a typewriter, you know, um, (laughs) Charlie Chaplin aside, I should put a clip of that in the show notes, by the way, um, Charlie Chaplin aside, I mean, in a hundred years from now, if the earth is still here, of course, um, that's another conversation. What are the things we're going to look back on and say, wow, that was really silly to worry about that? 
I hope charting for one. I think that uh, we're, yeah. I mean, I think we're currently in a um, with the first um, implementation of the electronic health record and a lot of the um, digital need to chart um, still required manual input of the clinician. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, as a result of that, the face-to-face -face interactions that we all feel this when we go see a primary care provider, um, they're behind the computer typing <laughs> about us rather than maybe having a meaningful interaction. So I think that- Yeah, it's like, would you look at me, please? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, so I, I think that if, if, if technology, I, I hope my hope is that that technology it gives way to this the, a return to care as it perhaps was provided in, say, the 1800s, um, but with all of this technological technological advancement that allows for superior clinical care, but a return to that caring feel that was was made um, that we had prior to the before we had to type into the computer. Right now, you're a doctor of nursing practice. You also have an MBA. You're assistant vice president and chief nursing informatics officer at the Hospital for Special Surgery. You're also involved in this company that you founded. Can you tell us a little bit about Inspiron? Yep, so Inspiron is um, a company led by clinicians. Uh, so a group of nurses and clinicians um, and technologies for really one of the first times. I think that everyone says there's a partnership of, of clinical and technical people, but really there's a lot of silos that exist both in the hospital environment as well as in the, the vendor space of technological um, creation. But um, our company was founded by nurses and from the day one, really side by side at the design table with some of the most brilliant computer vision experts and AI experts in the in the world to solve some of the practical problems that nurses face every day. So that is what our, our company uh, is. Okay. And what I understand from your website, from what you wrote to me, and from the videos I've watched on the Inspiron.com website, is that you've developed an AI-related cognitive patient care assistant. Now, to some people listening, like the ones who are afraid of the robot army stealing their jobs, that might sound kind of scary to them. So mm -hmm. what do you say to those folks and how do you explain what it is that you've created? Yeah, so with um, the device, the flagship solution is called IN, uh, IN, IN for interaction and IN for insight into the space. So the the basic premise of our of our company and the solution is to mark a return to the caring environment that I that I outlined uh, that I hope our technology helps lead the way to 100 years from now when that is the the solution. So I think this this product at its core is to not only re uh, encourage meaningful interactions between caregivers, the staff patients and their families, but also to ensure that we're able to reward it and really in, ensure that that is a data point that is rewarded and encouraged in the hospital. So for example, nurses right now um, are judged primarily on how fast they can do everything. Um, and then when something bad happens or an adverse outcome, a patient falls or a patient develops a pressure ulcer, typically it's known on the unit. But typically, it's not really known in the world or at the unit level or at the manager level or the administrative level until, say, three months later when a Prescani satisfaction survey comes back or an NDNQI survey comes back that says the quality metrics were, were up or down. And that doesn't impact a, a floor nurse who 
sees a, a chart go up or down from three months ago, um, how does that that doesn't impact their change in practice right now? They might not have been working that day. So you know, to create an environment of a team and a real time real time data capture to reward and recognize nurses for the great work that they do currently um, needed two things. First, the burden of charting has charting has to be lifted from the the nurse, and then two, rewarding the nurse for spending meaningful interactions with their time um, is the second piece to that. So that's what we've done with our pilots and at the hospitals that we've, we've piloted at is really to um, use this technology to, one, make the nurse's job easier, and then to reward and encourage the great work that they're doing that perhaps they don't necessarily. No one knows if you spend an hour with a patient and just talk to them about their grandkid. And no one knows if you answer the call bells really, really fast or if you answered all of your teammates' call bells. Um, no one knows if you are great at hourly rounding and never miss anything. So a lot of the nurses, quite quite the opposite now, are asking like, okay, I want this inspiring data to be part of my performance review because they, they're they like, this is a whole other data set of things that I do great. I take care of my patient, my my colleagues' nurses. I answer their call bell. And all of the data that we're capturing that sort of had never been able to be captured before um, has given nurses something to say, hey, look, you know, this is what I'm doing that perhaps isn't shown in a in a Prescani survey from three months ago or NDNQI uh, report that, that isn't tangible to them. I see. Now, for those people out there who are afraid, you just said something really interesting about a few seconds into what you were saying this last this last comment. You said something about lifting the burden of documentation from the nurse. So this cognitive patient care assistant, I know it's this wall-mounted, high-tech, AI-powered device that's mm -hmm. up on the wall of the patient room. And apparently, from what I've read and seen in the videos, it analyzes the entire patient care environment and uses something called artificial social awareness. Mm -hmm. Now, when I hear that, I think, I think many things. So what does it truly mean? And what's how is the burden of documentation lifted and what's getting documented by this device? We've put a lot of sensors into the device. So sound sensors, light sensors, temperature sensors to assess patient area, basic areas of patient comfort in real time, um, as opposed to the surveys that ha that are out there. You know, did you think your room was cold? Like we, we actually know which rooms are cold. Uh, right. You know, was it loud there or was the quietness? We know if it was quiet. So that kind of thing we do with those basic sensors. And that's um, sort of how the company started and it, it's now evolved. And the reason why it's the, the technological leap that's been made is in this, the two domains that allow for this to happen, the question you just asked. So the first is, is computer vision, and the second is Bluetooth low energy. And so the interplay or the hybrid nature of those two um, allows us to do this. So um, a, a great example um, is the pressure ulcer prevention. So currently, any nurse listening will know that um, patients who are bed bound typically have an order placed by a prescriber to turn and position the patient. Um, there's a problem one right there because the order needed to be placed. Um, and perhaps they thought someone was bed maybe they forgot to put the order in. There's some risk just inherent in that part. Then the okay. order typically is a two-hour turn, turn in position order. Typically every two hours, you turn them, put the pillow to the left, put the pillow to the right, turn in position. Um, using computer vision alone, uh, this device is able to analyze the room, and the patient in the bed, if they're applying too much pressure to one side, the left, or to the right, and they haven't moved in two hours, uh, this device would alert the nurse to say, hey, this patient hasn't been turned in two hours. 
oh, turn turn them. Um, so and then once the nurse goes in to chart uh, to not to chart, but to to do the actual action of turning the patient, the device sees that the patient has been lifted off of that pressure point, and that's it. So um, it doesn't. That that's it. It's just uh, this patient hasn't been turned. We turned them, and now the device knows they've been turned. So we can do all of that. Oh. There's no order. There's no charting. There's no nothing other than the action that's needed. Well, let's take one step back though. Sure. So when the nurse comes in with her giant spatula and yeah. flips the patient, just yeah. kidding. Yeah. Um, that's more a Charlie Chaplin <laughs> thing. So the the device will actually enter into the EMR that the patient was turned at that particular time by that particular nurse? Correct, yeah. Whoa, okay, so there's where the burden of documentation starts to be lifted. So the nurse doesn't have to go to the computer or whatever and say, patient turned, click. Right, and then where, um, with the Bluetooth, we're able to pair with other devices. So, for example, a thermometer. If a thermometer was Bluetooth-enabled, we know that the nurse went in. We know who the nurse is. We know what bed they're at. We can. The Bluetooth reads the electronic device reading for any point of care testing, and the computer vision knows who it is. And therefore, we can chart. Those need a little bit um, to be fully transparent. That requires FDA approval for anyone, <laughs> because we're, you know. But for some of these nurse tasks, you know, that we're piloting with, um, trying to position that aren't necessarily medication delivery or glucose testing. That's sort of the long-term future. Um, but for the nurse task, like a turn in position is a perfect order that we're able to, to do. Wow. Now I understand that at South by Southwest, which is a really big, um, what would you call it? It's a, not a festival. It's a, what is South by Southwest in Austin? Yeah. So it's a large, large conference and they have various other, um, yeah, it's kind of like a conference slash festival. Uh, yeah, because there's music, but there's mm-hmm. also companies like your own Correct. who participate. Yeah, and then there's also a political track. So I met a lot of politicians while I was down there. Uh, Very so, strange. So it's, yeah. it, it kind of has a technological technology arm, a music arm, and then this political arm. So they, I see. And everyone just kind of goes down to Austin for the week and, and all meets together. Now, you're not running for office no. that I'm aware of. No. So you were there and you won the Innovation Award for AI and Machine Learning at South by Southwest. We did. So what kind of feedback did you get from the judges or whoever these people were or organizations that were looking at Inspiron's device and seeing the applications of that device? Yeah, the feedback was really was overwhelmingly positive. Actually, I was the only person who went down my team. We were piloting and the rest of the team that was my team was hammering the device on the walls and installing it, you know, ourselves like any startup. So I was the only person that went down to South by Southwest. So I stood there kind of alone and there was a lot of other big companies there. Uh, but I was just there with the the device sort of in a booth talking to the judges. And I think people really saw the, the promise. It, it just makes sense uh, with a fragmented technology stack that exists in a lot of hospitals to have one device that sort of pulls all the data together and then applies it in a meaningful way, I think is, um, you know, it's, it sounds simple now that we've kind of done it, but it's, it's not really something, there's nothing really else like, like it out, like it out there. And I think that a lot of people can relate to it because everyone is a patient at some, you know, at some point in their life. And I think that a lot of people, uh, particularly with the families, um, aspect of it, one of the basic simple things that it does is just the, the data element of knowing who comes in and out of the room. Uh, we give a patient an app 
and it just tells them nurse Sally saw you, you know, Dr. Jones saw you and the time that they came. And for a patient, that's very, it's confusing when everyone comes into the hospital and trying to make sense. And even for the care team as nurses, we know, like we wonder like, did the doctor see you yet? Maybe they didn't get to write it in their note yet. And to just to have it right there of people that came to see you is um, both good for the patients, the families as well, and the, and the staff. So that's a that's a bit before we even combine the two technologies just on computer vision alone we're able to to create something like that right so my understanding is that this is you were the first person slash company to develop this sort of cognitive care assistant that this doesn't really exist anywhere yet no not a combination of this i mean there's various elements of the things that i said in the rtls space or the real-time location service space and one of the reasons why nurses like us more than that is because they have to usually wear these big clunky badges um, and they, it knows if you go in the hallway or if you're in the bathroom or if you went to lunch. this our device doesn't know that it only knows what happens at the bed um, so that's that's a, a real we we like that it's particularly because nurses were uh, it, we shouldn't have a punitive environment anywhere but certainly we don't want to create a device that could even open the door for something like that so our device doesn't have that at all it only knows who goes to what beds not not who's in the hallway or who went to lunch or anything like that. And then um, it's in the RTLS space, in the sensing space, in the charting space, in the patient satisfaction space, and then also now in the call bell space, one of the first IoT, um, Internet of Things IoT devices that we've created. Simultaneously, the pairs with our base station is a little adapter that goes over the call light and will turn any call light, even from the 1970s, into a smart call bell where we can harness that signal, push the notification to a nurse's phone, um, and so a lot of call bells companies have to come in and rip out the whole, you know, everything out of the walls and shut down the rooms in order to do this. And a lot of, it's very expensive and costly. And so hospitals, we, we've invented this little small IOT device that just goes on the wall above the light and pairs with our base station. And then we can turn any call bell from the 1970s or eighties into a smart call bell system. Well, but not a call bell from like the time of Florence Nightingale. That's not going to work. As long as there's a light, I can do it. Ah, if it's a little button, you just push and it goes ding. Yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, need a light. (laughs) Not the ring ring, I need a light. So, yeah, yeah, so I mean, we're the first really to combine all of this into into one solution. So... That is super exciting. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about your personal experience of being a patient before you were a nurse and what that's like and how that relates to what you're doing now as a nurse and also as a technology and AI innovator in the healthcare space. I think that is a super important thing to talk about. We're also going to talk more about your history and some of the plans for your organization moving forward and some of the other stuff you do too. So we will be right back with more with Paul Coyne here at Nurse Keith Show, episode 248. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of the Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty nifty premiums and gifts directly from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. Also, please consider signing up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com so that you can receive my bi-weekly message just for you. 
Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, even if they do one session, you'll receive credit for one hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. And you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. Remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits over time. What a deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, dear listener. So now let's dig back into today's topic. Hey, thanks for hanging out here at episode 248 with Nurse Keith and Paul Coyne of Inspiring.com. Remember, the show notes are at NurseKeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 248. Remember, you can see some embedded videos there, not just of Charlie Chaplin, but also of the innovative software and hardware that Paul and his team at inspiring.com have developed. So you definitely want to check out those videos and connect with Paul and the team through the links in the show notes. So Paul, before the break, we were talking all about the technology you developed, the award you won at South by Southwest, congratulations, and how this has all developed and what you're doing to bring this new technology to bear. And I hope we allayed some of the fears of the people who are afraid of the robot army coming and taking over the hospital and booting them out to the unemployment line. That said, when you were 22 years old, something happened and you were not yet a nurse and your life and your health were turned upside down. Could you tell us what happened? And then we'll talk a little bit more about the repercussions of that experience. Sure. Yeah. So I, w- I was born with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a heart disease and for those non-nurses listening, which is a heart disease in which the wall of the ventricle is too thick. Um, and so that disease has many potential um, adverse outcomes that can occur, but I had a stroke when I was 22, um, a clot formed in the bottom left ventricle and came up to the thalamus. So it was a left thalamic stroke. And, um, yeah, I was having a chicken parm with my girlfriend at the time out to dinner and, um, kind of the fork dropped in the, in the plate. And, uh, I just remember thinking that this is a, this is a stroke. So, um, you know, we went called 911 and we went to the, the, the emergency department. And uh, yeah, then from there on, I was recovering. But that, that, that was about a week after I graduated from college. Oh, my gosh. And you were working at Goldman Sachs at the time? So it was about three, about a month before I started. So it was my first job out of school. I graduated in May. The job was going to start in July. And I had a stroke a week after I graduated, about a month and a half before I started work at, at Goldman. So how, <laughs> so you had a stroke at 22, mm-hmm. but you knew you had this cardiomyopathy, right? This since, was a known Correct, thing, since, since right. birth, yeah. So you were able to enter the workforce not that long after this? Yeah, it was, uh, that was probably one of the biggest struggles of my, my life, actually. I, you know, we, I had, um, my stroke was in the left side of the brain, so I had difficulty speaking, and some long-term memories were, were lost. Uh, but really, aphasia was, was the main um, problem, and right-sided weakness. And so uh, my job at Goldman was in operations. I was a derivatives trader, and, and a lot of, had three computer screens, and had to do a lot of typing. And not a lot of talking. <laughs> so I actually um, uh, um, moved to New York. Um, I had a great friend from, from college who I, who I moved with. I spent about two weeks in, in the hospital, you know, recovering from the stroke, a couple of weeks in rehab, and then outpatient rehab, you know, with my mom for um, the month of June. And my mom, you know, took care of me. And then in July, I came to New York and 
lived with uh, a great friend from college uh, named Vin Casito, who was influential in my recovery those four years, um, helping me go over all of my memories from college and, and all of that. But um, yeah, I went to work at Goldman, you know, 11, 12 hours a day, and, and I just didn't talk much and uh, was able to be, <laughs> was able to, was, somehow I did it. I, I don't know how, but I, I did it. Wow, that is incredible. So I understand from your bio that you basically learned how to speak again while you were working at Goldman Sachs. Luckily, mm -hmm. you had a job that didn't involve a whole lot yeah. of talking, mm -hmm. which is great. And my question is, did your friend Vin, did he like, when he was going over your memories from college, did he say things like, hey, remember when you offered me to, you know, <laughs> loan me uh, $50,000? <laughs> <laughs> no, he did it. He's a great, he's a great guy. He's a stand -up I was, guy. It really was important. I didn't live with someone that would say something like that, but he was, he's, he wouldn't do that to me. Right. Remember that 50,000 you loaned me and you told me I didn't have to pay you back, man, that was so generous. So that was at 22. Now at age 26, you left wall street and you decided to pursue a career in healthcare. So yeah. what, switch got flipped for you to go from the financial world to the healthcare world after four years out of college? Yeah, what I, happened? I think my, my, I, my brain was in a place where the rest of it was sort of, I felt like it was back to a place. But when you have a stroke, you know, your brain's a little rattled and you wonder, you know, am I capable? Am I smart? Is my whole brain back? You know, all of those things that, you know, the mind is is your identity, right? So it's very, mm. it's just, it's a difficult thing to, to overcome. But, but one of the struggles that I had was this feeling of not being capable at the time and, you know, had wanted to prove to myself one that I was capable of going back to school and still being intelligent. And then two, to give meaning to what I went through and hopefully help other people that weren't as fortunate as, as I was to recover. And, um, the two things that I, that I just felt as though nursing based on my own recovery was the role that would allow me to help people physically and emotionally, which is what I felt I needed. And that's why I, um, that's why I became a nurse. Right. And you're like, I can earn a whole much more money in healthcare than a Goldman Sachs. <laughs> Not really, <laughs> but I, I understand. So this was about service and this was about taking what happened to you and turning it around and turning it into something incredibly positive in your life and then the lives of the people you then were able to touch subsequently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, you have an MBA and an MS in finance. That was from your previous world, right? No, I went to school all at the same time, actually. I went to, um, so right after, in 20, I only had a bachelor's degree when I started at Goldman. Wow. And then uh, at 26, I went to a lot of school from 26 to 29. Uh, and got five more degrees in, in that three-year period. Um, all right. So, okay, we've established that you're superhuman. <laughs> so you have an MBA and an MS in finance. You have a BSN, an MSN, and a DNP. And you got all of that in the course of three years. Yeah, th three and a half, yeah. So why am I afraid of going to graduate school? I don't use You shouldn't be. You can do it. You're, <laughs> you sound, you're smarter than me. You're more well-spoken, Keith. You'll be, you'll be okay. Oh, no way. No. Okay. And then your, thank you, but your <laughs> clinical expertise is as an adult nurse practitioner and your subspecialty is palliative care. Mm -hmm. And you've been the assistant VP at hospital for special surgery. Is that in New York city? That's in New York city. It's the number one orthopedic hospital in the, in the United States. Okay. And then before that you were the manager of analytics at New York Presbyterian hospital. So you've, you've been around and <laughs> you know, it, you bring something very interesting to the healthcare world. One, you're an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Two, you're an inventor and an innovator and a tech 
what could we say evangelist or yeah whatever that's, that's we could good, say sure. you like that okay yeah, that like sounds good and no three charge. three a patient i i hope you're gonna say three a patient you were a professional patient yeah. for a few years yeah and you're also the co-author of the nurse's guide to innovation which was written by rebecca love of sonciel the society of nurse scientists innovators entrepreneur and leaders i'm also involved in that organization tangentially and she's been on this show and the other co-author was bonnie clipper previously at the ANA, she was on this show talking about tech, and then she was back on this show to talk about tech even more. <laughs> so you've been moving in this kind of like tech healthcare space for a while with mm-hmm. some of the, I would say some of the greatest innovators in that space right now in 2019. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very honored that they let me, let me, they let me write the book with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can, Paul, you can write a couple <laughs> paragraphs. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So that book is out, right? Yes, it was it was published, uh, I believe, a month and a half ago, and it was um, yeah an Amazon bestseller. I was we were very excited. We ran a little a little campaign, but it was a bestseller in in the nursing category of I think six or seven countries. So we were we're very overwhelmed with the response that we've received. I really think there's a a, a thirst for for this nurse innovator, and people are um, I think a lot of nurses view themselves that way, but maybe don't necessarily have the um, feel as though they don't have the knowledge. So I think that they're looking for, the, even though they have it, I think there's this, you know, yeah. um, they, the need for just a little push. And so I think that's why the Bush was successful. Absolutely. And that's called The Nurse's Guide to Innovation, Accelerating the Journey. It's on Amazon. We're definitely going to have a link to that in the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 248. So Tell me a little bit more about Inspiring, about your team, about the people you work with, and what else is, I know you can't give us any proprietary information, yeah, so yeah. I know stuff's in development, but what can you tell us about Inspiring and what you see coming down the pike in the next few years that you're able to share at this time? So the the team um, currently, um, so Mike Wong was the founder and CEO. We met in nursing school. I met two people that changed my life in nursing school. The first was my wife, and the second was was Mike Wong. So we uh, all, all went to Columbia together uh, for a second bachelor's degree program. And um, we were study partners, Mike and I, and he called me up and said he had this idea to put one device on the wall that would, um, you know, do as much as we could. At the time, we didn't know, but um, we just kind of got started and launched it. So he's the CEO and um, and we've been leading the company for the last, you know, three or four years. So he's he's wonderful and a great visionary, particularly on the design is all him and the vision and just everything. He's a great, great leader. And then Vin, I already talked about him, but he works at the company too. He, my roommate from uh, four or five years. If he had tried to take my money, Keith, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, started the company with him, but oh, he, he was that, okay. he was that trustworthy to be a business partner. Uh, so he was, a, he's a co-founder as well. And now he's the chief operating officer software implementation consultant prior to, to this and at, at Accenture and Viva and just a, a, a brilliant man. And then uh, Jeff Morelli, also a consultant to uh, software implementation as our vice president of technology delivery. Um, and then uh, the individual responsible for most of the technology development is a man named John Gibbs, who we were fortunate enough to get connected with, uh, who worked at MIT and NASA and is really a pioneer in the computer vision space. Um, and Rahul Arena and Eric, uh, our team is growing um, by the day in terms of the tech team that makes really all of this possible. I just get to talk about it now, but they're really doing wonderful things um, in terms of the computer vision and 
the Bluetooth pairing and, and more use cases that you you were correct. I can't really you know share until they're public, but really a, a blending of a lot of a lot more of that uh, computer vision and BLE to really ensure that the platform can be can be optimized fully. Um, and then we have a c- clinical team, um, Sabrina and others who are leading the nurse relationship and the nurse training and that component. And then, wow. yeah, so it's been, it's a great, a great team, a core team. And then we have, um, you know, a factory that we work with to assemble them in Vermont and the factory in China that makes the soft tooling. I mean, so there's an extended team of a company called Normative in Canada com- that makes all of our apps, a company called 10X Beta that, that helps us select the um, products that the smaller computer products that will go inside of the device. So that's our core team, but we have a, a, a probably vendor relationships with over 30 or 40 people. Um, Sounds like it. I mean, developing this kind of technology, I'm assuming, is time consuming, mm-hmm. probably tedious at times, and most likely, and this is, a, a, pardon the pun, but there's a lot of moving parts. Yes. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, every little tweak you make has some repercussion on something else that you've developed. And you have been a bedside nurse for years Mm -hmm. and you have other clinicians involved. So you've said from the very start of this interview that this is a clinician led company. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the problems with, with things that get developed for healthcare, and I'm sure you could elucidate this and I'd love for you to to speak to this Mm -hmm. is that Stuff gets developed for people like you and me to use the bedside mm-hmm. by people who have no idea what it means to stand at the bedside of a patient. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to have nurses and other clinicians involved in the development of bedside tech? Yeah, well, I think um, it's not end user testing is the key term that you're, you're alluding to. Um, that, that is not the time to involve the nurse in the development of a product. Uh, when it's time to do end user testing. Um, That's typically how a product will be created. Um, In the worst, you know, in the most extreme example, it could be better somewhere along the way, but in the most extreme example, a company creates a product, works with an IT team and a business team within the hospital to work on it. Perhaps a hospital executive is there from the clinical end. Um, Maybe one or two people from the nursing frontline staff Come to the come to the meeting with the executive for, to offer feedback. A product is selected due to budget, tech, all these, a lot of other reasons, and then it's time for end user testing. And um, we then hand it to the nurses and say, you know, is this working okay for you? Uh, and that's 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 too late. It's too late for a nurse to be involved in the development of a of a product. It sh- at best they should think of the product and make it. Um, but even less than that, as soon as the idea is conceptualized or is in beta testing or before it even becomes a product, um, nurses should be involved in the active development of everything from the layout of the app, how it's, you, you know, all of that is really the nurses are the people that are going to use it. So, yeah. so it should be. Yeah. And does that not happen these days much or do you feel like some healthcare tech companies are kind of getting that? I think some people are getting more of it. Um, so I mm-hmm. think some of the, there was a, you know, um, a lot of, I think major healthcare technology companies. Now I see you see them at magnet, you see them at, at other nurse conferences. Mm-hmm. Now they're starting to have booths and you're like, Oh, you weren't here a couple years ago. And I really think they're starting to know that nurses have great ideas and really try to partner with them early. So I hope at, at its most sincere, uh, that creates better products at its least sincere. It runs the risk of a nurse 
giving the idea away to the big company and then not getting the, the credit for it. Right. So I don't know why I, right. I, I'm always skeptical when I see people there asking for, for ideas. Uh, but I, it's a wonderful thing to, to start to see because it opens the door for true innovation that, that should be the, the large tech companies working side by side with, with nurses. Okay. So speaking of nurses, which mm-hmm. are probably 95% of my listeners, more or less, I think. Yeah. Um, so first question if a nurse wants to bring, say, Inspirin's technology to the bedside at their particular facility, what can they do to try to make that happen? Um, well, they can reach out to me. I'll be happy to talk to them on LinkedIn or, or whoever. So that, and you know, we can provide any materials that are needed. Um, but if a nurse, um, yeah, I, I would. Various hospitals have a different. We had a a, a, a woman out in California reach out to me the other day and forwarded me that her company has this um, little box on the side of their info net that says, you know, their internal website that says, you know, any idea, give it here. And she, you know, wrote this beautiful, you know, 10, 11 paragraph thing about why Inspiring would help her hospital. And uh, the CIO wrote back to her and said, you know, I'm interested. So I, I think, however, that organization clearly listens to um, whoever um, whatever, whatever the bedside nurse writes, you know, they're, they're engaged. I think for those that, that aren't, um, to just, you know, be persistent and that, you know, discuss it with your manager and discuss it with, you know, I'm actually always, you know, sometimes I get in trouble, but, uh, (laughs) I think the real answer is to just email the CNO or the CIO. If you have an idea, um, the best CNIOs and CIOs, you know, that, that I've worked with are, very willing to engage the frontline staff and you'd be surprised that not many people ever email ever email that uh, the big executive because they think oh they don't want to hear from me or they're nervous but um they don't get that many emails as a result of all of those potential barriers so i mean mm-hmm. if you have a great idea whether it's a you know pilot inspiring which which is a great idea or another great idea i think people should just be more comfortable um creating a flat organization where people feel comfortable to talk to whoever they have the idea. okay and cio is chief innovation officer or inform- chief information officer. Information, yeah. right. Yeah. I've seen innovation too, but probably not in a healthcare, healthcare yeah. facility. So the CIO right. or the CNO just say, hey, I heard of this great company and uh, you know, you should you should check them out. Okay. Or Nurse any Keith other idea so. they have. Yeah. yeah not- okay. Um, now, the second question about that nurse out there who is listening to this thinking, wow, this is so cool. So if he or she thinks, I have a really cool idea, I don't know what to do with it, because I think it could be really innovative. What do they do with that? Or, and if they want to get involved in some sort of initiative, what do they do with that? If they have the desire, how do they, how do they even broach the notion or approach the notion of becoming an innovator? What do they do? Yeah. So I think first, if you have, first off, if you have an idea, you should email yourself the idea because you need a timestamp that it was your idea and that, that you thought of it at that time. Okay. Um, so anytime I have an idea, I email it to myself, and now I have a record of it. So that's the first thing. Um, Poor man's copyright. Yeah, yeah. always. Yeah, okay. but it's better than nothing yeah. at all. Um, True. So secondly, um, just on that topic, every hospital has their own innovation policy and ideas around, you know, restrictions around intellectual property and the ownership of it. So I would familiarize yourself with your own hospital or company's IP policy or intellectual property policy, so that you don't, you make sure you don't infringe on it. Um, yes. So that's the. Those are the first two. Um, but then after those are all cleared. Um, I would, um, just one, believe that you, that you can, you know, do, do it. Um, 
is the first step. Um, secondly, I think there's various ways to do it. So Mike and I, when we started, um, there's starting to be more hackathons. There's starting to be more um, nurse innovation fellowships. Johnson & Johnson just had one, um, and I'm sure they'll continue it. They selected 12 nurses from around the country to join a nurse innovation fellowship that was paid for and sent them down to um, North Carolina to, to train um, on, on the topic of innovation and make connections. Sanciel, which you mentioned, which is a new organization for this purpose, um, to really mm -hmm. put nurses and give them the voice that, that they belong at the table for innovation and leadership. So, I mean, I think if you just Google nurse innovation or nurse um, hackathon or join Sanciel to get, you know, information on, on some of these things, um, nurse innovation awards, there's a lot of nurse innovation grants. Um, there's a lot of, I think a lot of stuff's just found on Google. Uh, that's how we want a lot of our awards. I just Google, you know, I just Google them and then apply. And sometimes they say no, and sometimes they invite us to South by Southwest. So you never, you never know. That's great advice. And, you know, there's people like Tim Raderstorf over at the mm -hmm. Ohio State University Innovation Studio. There's Bonnie Clipper. I mean, there's tons of stuff going on out there. So you're saying get in front of people, talk to people, show your initiative, get involved in organizations like Sonciel, and just kind of like find out what that space is all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one right? of the things, I mean, Mike, I mean, if you're really, really passionate, one of the first things we did was go to a conference. We bought our booth ourselves. Um, and we had a little device that wasn't even plugged in to anything. And we just kind of went with our vision, bought a 10 by 10 booth at the ANIA or the AONL and, and just stood there in the exhibit hall and talked to people that walked up to us. And that's yeah. how we actually met Bonnie. And that's why we wrote the book. I mean, so I think, um, you know, we had to pay some money to, you know, go to the booth. So it is, there's some, of course. there's some sacrifice on your time and money, but if you, if you're really passionate and you, uh, that's, that's how we did it. <laughs> it's just, um, a lot of effort and, and a lot of, you know, creativity to, to find these people. Yeah. I mean, you have to pay to play in these particular areas. And sometimes the pay is your time. It's not always money. Mm -hmm. You have to put in the sweat equity, right? Yeah. So speaking of sweat equity, I just want to say we already talked about the South by Southwest innovation, the AI and machine learning award, which is really wonderful. I also know that you were the only nurse practitioner named as a leading healthcare leader under 40 by both Becker's and Business Insider. And you're at, on the board of visitors at Columbia University School of Nursing. So you have your fingers in a lot of pots and you're already getting recognized for your innovative presence. And um, I'm sure that feels great. And do you have any personal slash professional goals coming up in the next few years? Is there something not proprietary that you'd like to share about something maybe like maybe five more degrees you'd like? No, no, no more degrees. No, okay. no um, I think that um, I think that. I just want to see inspiring in more in more hospitals. To be honest, that's my that's my goal. I you know okay. I we had alluded a little bit to being a patient and a provider, and from both angles, I really feel like this technology can help um, just help a lot of things. And uh, you know, one of the struggles is the healthcare sales cycle is notoriously long. It's very difficult to sell to a hospital. Um, so you know, just to get awareness and and to try to make a difference and and have this device on on more more walls, uh, more walls. I see. So that's, that's really my main, my main goal now. I don't, I don't want, I don't want any more degrees. The, oh, the last on. one, no, the last one, was tough. <laughs> the last one I used to call my mom and be like, you know, do I really need this, this doctorate? And she was like, well, you started, you know, because at first, you know, it, 
I was so driven with the stroke, like to prove to myself that I was smart. And then after like degree number four, I was like, uh, I kind of thought I was all right, you know, like everybody else. And then now it's now it's just hard like everybody else because it, you don't I mean, it's it's tough. It's a sacrifice. So once yeah. the real thrill of of pursuit wore off, um, the, the schooling was a little tougher at the end. But the thrill of the pursuit of inspiring, I think, has just so much potential to, to change. It. It's not it's not going to wear off. So that's that's my goal for really the next um, the next the foreseeable future is to try and make this make care better. That's very exciting. And I look forward to watching how this changes and having you on maybe in 2020 to talk about, you know, what's happened sure. in the last year. Absolutely. And, you know, when I look at your name here, it says Paul Coyne, DNP, MBA, MSF, RN, APRN, AGP, CNP, dash BC. So, I mean, yeah, I think maybe you have enough degrees, but I'm going to ask you a question that probably maybe no one else has ever asked you. And has anyone ever told you, because I'm looking at you on Skype here, that you look a little like George Clooney? Oh, wow. That's very nice of you. No, I've got Seth McFarlane, because I sing too. I sing Sinatra. And That's um, right. PaulCoinMusic.com. Okay. Yeah. And I yeah. Uh, I do. So I um, so I get Seth McFarlane a lot because he sings, you know, the guy that created I Family s- Guy. But, I see but that. George Clooney, I mean, that, you just made my day. You made my yeah, day. Yeah. I mean, your head is shaved, but if I cover <laughs> over the top of your head, there's this George Clooney happening in the center yeah, that's here. That's great. No, so, that, that was a, that's one of the best compliments. No, no one's ever right? said that to me before. Yeah, I'm going to tell my wife that and she's going to... Tell your wife she hasn't gotten the memo yet, No, but, but no. it's coming. Anyway, um, one last question. Is there anything you want to say to the audience out there taking into consideration there are probably 95% nurses that we haven't said. Is there anything you want to either extol to them or inspire them or just just advise them? Yeah, no, I think that, you know, you were very kind and said that I look like George Clooney and I have a lot of degrees, but I guess you don't need <laughs> to have a lot of degrees or to look like George Clooney to to be a, to be a successful nurse entrepreneur. I, I really, I mean, this, this profession was founded by Florence Nightingale, who really innovated in a space where there was a hole that medicine couldn't fill um, and nursing stepped up and rose to the occasion and it was created. And I think we're approaching a place in healthcare where there's significant gaps in the, in the United States and in the world where um, current practice does not fulfill the need um, and is lagging behind, particularly with technology. And I, 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 I believe that nurses are are best suited to, to do this. I didn't know how to make hardware. I had a lot of degrees, but I didn't know how to make hardware or AI at the time before I learned it or um, software apps or mobile apps, I'm, you know, coding, all of that. You know, we assembled a team and got those people together. Made it happen. So, yeah, so I think that that is, you know, I think a lot of people see their limitations and say, oh, well, I can't do X, Y, Z, so I, you know, so I won't, I, I, I'm not an innovator. Um, but the same people that are, innovating or coding or building apps are saying to themselves, well, gee, I really wish I had a nurse to partner with um, that knew what I could do with this thing. So I think that, you know, that, that to any nurse that, that's listening, these, these people are out there. Our, our proto, one of our first prototype was, was assisted by the Columbia School of Engineering, um, who students from there who, you know, after they graduated, didn't know what to do and were just so excited to have someone that maybe had a practical use case for some of the technology that they wanted to develop. Um, and so I think that, you know, if you have the drive and the desire and what you do, if you became a nurse in the first place to perhaps notice that you are an innovator and there's so many ways that nurses innovate 
every day um, at the bedside, um, it's not that far of a leap to then create a, a product. Very true. So uh, there's really nothing, there's nothing that special about me that, uh, that any other nurse couldn't do is, is what I would say. But thanks right. for listening about me anyway. <laughs> thank you, Paul. Well, this was amazing and I can't thank you enough. This is really fascinating and we're going to have you back on in 2020 for sure. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to episode 248 of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, those show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 248. You can see a picture of Paul and decide if he looks like George Clooney. And you can check out all the links and the videos all about inspiring.com. I hope you feel uplifted and inspired from this episode. And I want you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction. And remember, if you over to nursekeith.com to the resources section you can find jobs from reload and ZipRecruiter and lots of other resources for you to explore including free acls bls and pals certification for your first certification that you need coming up the nurse keith show is edited and produced by tim hollowell and his team at the podcastinggroup.com and mark cappy Speeson is our capable and wonderful social media ringmaster be well dig deep seek joy keep in touch this is nurse keith saying adios till next time from beautiful santa fe new mexico and dr paul coin bidding you adieu from new york city new york city thank you paul and thanks to those listening and we will catch you on the flip side 